from WBOI Fort Wayne. From WBOI Studios in Fort Wayne, this is the I Am Immigrant, and I am Ahmed Abdelmajid. I am a Palestinian immigrant who has been donning the title of immigrant for the past 24 years of my life. I am interested in conversations around the immigrant experience, conversation that we seem to be not having or we seem to be not knowing how to have. For this podcast series, I'm hoping that we have conversations with different immigrants about all that it entails to be an immigrant. Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of The I and Immigrant. This is your host, Ahmed Abdelmajid, and as always, I am joined by the fantastic Katie Anderson. Hey, Ahmed. Can you tell us a little bit about who we get to talk with today? Yes, I am excited today to host an old college friend of mine, Ifedapo Sunuga, who went to Ferris State in Michigan, pharmacy school together, uh, him and his wife, and they have a beautiful family we'll get to know and learn more about uh, through this episode. And uh, it's kind of fun when we get to talk with your friends because I, I was kind of eavesdropping on a conversation you were having with one of my coworkers about how you think you know a person and then you do an interview with them like this and it just kind of showcases a whole new individual. I, <laughs> I know a lot about Mike that I'm not going to say on the air, but, <laughs> you know, we'll keep, we'll keep it civil in this episode. <laughs> so, Michael, and I used Michael, but I also introduced you as Ifedapo Sunugo. Welcome to the Iron Immigrant. Thank you. Good to see you, buddy. How are you? Great. Look at you now all married and kids and stuff. I know. I think it's kind of hilarious because you were supposed to be me and I was <laughs> going to be you, the academic. Or you were going to be the academic and I was going to be the successful businessman or... Correct. Yeah, but... Hospital, we... Hospital-based pharmacist. Which which one of us is the mature one, though? Because I don't think <laughs> we've achieved that goal that we set for ourselves. Yeah, huh? no. Child at heart. Child at heart. And uh, Michael is in Michigan, and we are doing this interview via Zoom. And he's joined by his beautiful wife, Jackie. Jackie, would you like to introduce yourself, please? My name is Jackie, and I am Mike's wife. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin. I came to Michigan to go to Calvin College, where I met Mike in 1998. He came to Calvin like a month, maybe three to four weeks into the, the semester. And I met him his very first day in the United States. Wow. How, how did you guys meet? Where did you guys meet? Well, the cafeteria, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I got, on, I got in on a afternoon, no, evening flight. Um, got into Grand Raptors on an evening flight. At the time, I was living in the UK when I and I was I had just finished like a they call it A levels. It's kind of like a Canadian grade thirteen. So I moved mm-hmm. to Grand Rapids, and then after I dropped all my stuff, I was being introduced to all the other international students. And Jackie's roommate was um, was an international student, and they were all kind of sitting together for dinner and I joined them. Food seems to bring Food a lot of people right together on. in many different ways. That's <laughs> now yes, it does. the question is, do you remember what you guys ate? No. Nope. Probably nasty dry cafeteria food, right? Probably <laughs> probably cold cereal. Probably cold cereal. <laughs> so you said it was your first day in the United States or, or first couple of days. Where where are you from? 
So I'm originally from Nigeria, West Africa. Um, after I completed my secondary education, um, I had support from my dad to move to England for a couple of years to go study and do my A-levels. I was always very interested in coming to the U.S. for my education. My dad is more of an Anglophile, so he was a very strong supporter of the British education system and going to England for that second part, the A-levels, but also going to university. Um, but I had support from my mom to be able to come to the U.S. So um, I did took my SATs while I was studying for my A-levels. And when I got done, um, she had a friend who taught at Calvin. Calvin has this interesting program in the spring called January Series. It's kind of like a interim class where okay. you can study you can take classes in your in your non-field or in a field that's not related to what you're going to school for. And she, her friend felt that Calvin had a great small class size that would allow me to transition from kind of the British education system, come to the American system, and just be comfortable with that because I could talk with my professors. So tell me a little bit about that. A-level system, or why that in-between step of going to England? Could you not have come here directly from Nigeria? We actually get done with our high school curriculum by the time you're 16. The A-level allows you to pick three subject areas that you're going to kind of focus on, and those are what you're going to get tested on to get a placement for university. So, for example, if you're, a site, if you're going to go to medical school, um, which was what my intent was at the time, you would do biology, physics, and chemistry as kind of your AP classes for those. And then if you, depending on what your scores are, all of the colleges have a set requirement of you have to get three A's or, you know, three A's and a B and to be able to get um, accepted into the university. And also... He had family who his, his half-brother was living in the UK. And so it was sort of like it also a, a step for independence, right? Mm-hmm. To go from living in a country completely on your own at 16. Um, instead, he was going to a country where he lived with his, his half-brother and, um, you know, had a little bit more supervision maybe. And then uh, a couple of years of that and then came here completely independent. So is that typical of education in Nigeria, you finish high school in, at 16, and then I, I guess, do you, can you do that A-level step in Nigeria, or do you have to go somewhere else for it? Well, in Nigeria, you don't have to do the A-level step. You can do your, um, it's called GCS's General Certification um, for Secondary Education, mm-hmm. and you take that, those are your old levels, and then you take like another exam to get placed in a university um this just but that if you're going to go to college in the uk you have to do a level sometimes we'll take really a gap year in between graduating from um high school to going to university we'll take a gap year before going in sometimes some families will have their children take those exams right away concurrently so that they don't have as large a gap year to go but in the uk If you're going to go to school in the UK, you do have to do your A-levels to get into a university. 
going to the UK, you got into the A-levels right away, or did you have to take English as a second no. language? No. So in order to get into A-level school, they usually accept you based on your O-level results. Okay. Um, so I had tested for my O-levels, and they gave me a conditional offer of you can come in and start, and then once you have your results presented to us, and then you can continue your education. So that's how I got into the school that my parents chose for me. Um, usually in the UK, again, it's the same thing. You, so you do your O-levels and then get accepted into a school or continue in the school you're at and just mm. taking classes for your A-levels. I'm wondering, where did you learn the English language? So um, Nigeria, um, the United Kingdom or England was were colonial masters for Nigeria. Mm. So all of us learned to speak English as really our first language. And really? our traditional languages actually became more of a secondary language you would learn. So from the time you're born, you're learning how to speak English. You're doing English alphabets, sentence structures. That might sound a little different than our English. <laughs> right. It's very, it's, it's very much... English. Uh, British English. Yeah, Queen's well, English. And, and Pigeon English. Like they... It doesn't even sound British. It, it sounds like an African version of English. <laughs> I see. You know, it's like Jamaicans have their um, patois, which is kind of just a mashup. And so we have our pidgin English, which is just short forms of actual English language. So like, for example, if we were going to say, how are you? Most people would say, how you day? Gotcha. How are you, you know, today? How are you today? Um, how you day? what's going on, um, waiting to happen. So you have these kind of shortened versions based on how the, you know, the original, not original, but how we perceived the meaning behind it comes across. So in, that's interesting. So even post-colonialism, even after, you know, Nigeria gained its independence, English or Pigeon English is still the, the first language of the land. Very, very much so. So what well, happens? There's a lot of tribes there. Uh -huh. And so they all have their own tribal languages. So it would make it very hard for them to communicate as they've moved into cities where there's people from many tribes. So English is like the language that brings them together. But then right. they all have their own tribal language mm -hmm. to be able to talk about each other without understanding what they're saying. So even the different tribes have their language is completely different from one another. And, and right. what, what tribe are you originally from? So my dad, um, so I'm considered, obviously I'm considered Yoruba because that was my, your, your tribe is, it's more paternal. Okay. So your hometown is based on where your father came from. Your prime, who you are typically is based on who your father was. So my father was Yoruba, which is southwestern part of Nigeria. My mother was considered Igbo, which is, southern eastern part and again even within those western and eastern regions there's all of these different tribes and variations in the dialect itself because even like yoruba which is the primary language on the southwest there's different iterations of yoruba depending on that particular tribe and community the yoruba language really spans a large part of West Africa and actually goes has also been found to exist 
strongly in Brazil. So there are cultural aspects that unite, you know, food mainly or? Food, sports, um, art, languages, the clothes, even, even to some extent religion. Even though there's such a variety of religion within the country, all of these different factors bring different, you know, the different groups together and unite them. And so you being born to parents from two different tribes, did that create friction or did that create beauty in joining the differences? I think for me it created beauty because I, I could have an appreciation of both cultures. I, you know, I credit both of my parents for my dad was definitely a strong influence in helping me understand the Yoruba culture and the ties that exist there between the families. And same with my mom. I mean, you know, my mom made sure that I was exposed to that other side of my culture. So I do, you know, consider myself blessed to come from both ways because I, I can interact with both cultures and I, and I do celebrate both cultures, you know. His, his name actually means love that brings us together. And that was chosen because of them being from two different tribes. So Ifedapo means love, which brings us together, love, which brings us together. Fascinating. And I was actually, that's a great segue because I was going to ask about not only the meaning of the name, but also we knew you in college as Mike. So where does Mike or Michael come into play? Michael is my middle name. It's my baptism. I'm Catholic. I was (laughs) raised Catholic. So it's my middle name. So I think where, you know, it's that, wanting to blend in and disappear into a culture. So I remember living in England and struggling with people not pronouncing my name correctly. I had a German roommate and I had great Malaysian friends. Um, and then, you know, I had my English friends and they would all say my name differently. My German friend would say Dabo and my <laughs> English friends would say Dapo. And my uh, Malaysian friends would say Dafo. And so, you know, it, I got to a point where it just really rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, at that time, I didn't have the maturity to say, hey, just roll with it. We'll call it good. And so I moved to the U.S. And I remember this was part of this cultural change. So at the time when I lived in England, I could go to a bar. I could go to a bar and get some beer. And so on one of the public holidays here in the, in the U.S., um, when we were on break at Calvin, I had somebody take me over to Myers, which is a grocery store here in Grand Rapids. And I tried to be, buy beer and I wasn't 21. <laughs> so, you know, here I am, 18-year-old in Myers trying to buy a beer. And they, the lady looked at me like I lost my mind. <laughs> And she was like, why, you know, what are you trying to do? I'm like, I'm buying beer. They're like, you're not from around here, are you? Because at the time, I actually still had my British accent. So I said, no, I'm not from around here, but I just want a beer. And she was like, actually, honey, here in the U.S., you have to be 21 to buy beer. And I was like, you know, I was like, no, you're taking the piss. They're like, no, like, for me, for real. And then they started bringing everybody around. They're like, what's your name? I was like, you know, it's fed up. They're like, right I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I just want to blend in and just do what I need to do to be successful. So I now reverted to my middle name, Michael, to be able to not have the first thing you think about when you meet me be you're different. 
so you still go by Michael over uh, if it is it and give me the right pronunciation. Ife Dapo. Ife Ife Dapo. So yeah. I've, been, I've been seeing it all right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and I think sometimes you just and so I've chosen professionally to stay with Michael because just so many people know know me as Michael. And uh-huh. when um I've gotten to a point where, you know, there are people that know you without formally meeting you. And I don't want to lose that link of um that I've gained from my professional growth achievements and connections and, and break that link that I've kind of, of, you know, that history Mm -hmm. I've built for myself Mm -hmm. over the last 15, 20 years. um, So you, you worry that, so you present yourself as Michael, which is your name. It's, I mean, it's not a name that you, adopted it's your name from birth it's your no, middle name no i didn't make it up or just say okay i'm going to pick mike but but you feel that uh, fedapo is going to put you at a, at somewhat of a disadvantage no so let me let me try and say this differently so i think i i started with michael to blend in as a college student young person <clears throat> just to blend into the culture because my experience had been if you can blend in and just not have your name and your accent be how people judge you, then you can you can kind of be successful in the society. And then I've gotten to a point where I think I've made some professional achievements. And and when you try to advance and grow within mm-hmm. the organization, I've kept that, you know, the people that know you as Michael, Shonaga, if they go have a conversation with somebody else and say, hey, Michael Shonaga, Da, 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 da. Well, I've got this track record built behind it versus if I go with Ifedapo Shonoga, then somebody who's in the room may not recognize that, oh, here's who we're talking about and here's my professional achievements that I, I have behind that name. I see what you're saying. And like maybe the fact that we ended up getting married even has something to do with that because, you know, I think by the time that he left Calvin, he would have had the confidence in himself and, and, and as, a, as someone living in this country to go back to his birth, you know, his first name. But I obviously knew him as Michael. That's what I had been calling him for four, three years. You know, other people here, all of the association with me, that's what we all called him. Um, and so I think it just makes it harder to change. I see. And I want to ask one more question on that, and then I want to go back to the to the relationship part too. Um, <clears throat> so, is it typical then in in Nigeria, or all all Nigerian Christians have a middle name that's more Anglo? It goes both ways. I think I've got friends who have. Hold up. He has a whole lot more names than two. <laughs> we we've had and this this. His whole name, if you want. <laughs> well, well, and and we can we can have a a contest. We'll we'll keep it PG on. on there. <laughs> we can have a contest about the number of names because I have a whole slew of names too. Because I yeah. think right. I think from a very similar. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we keep it's my name, my father's, my grandfather's, my great grandfather, great grand, all oh. the way to the family name. It's it, different. Everybody in your family gives you a name. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> so the, you know, like my grandparents, like on my mother's side, um, I have Chukubi Kame, which is my Igbo name. 
also, so Ifed Akbo, Tolu Lokbe, became Michael Shonaga. So that's where it's like, okay, I've got this name from my parents. I've got this name from my grandparents. I've got this other name that ties me into my Igbo heritage. There's, you know, there's definitely in, um, intent. It's very intentional, the names you're given. Mm-hmm. Um, and either reflects the time you were born or the situation you were born into, or if, you know, somebody important in your family passed away and you were born right after they passed away. So in my case, yeah, I have, you know, Ifedakbo Tolulokbet Chukubikim Michael, Michael being my baptismal name. And the Chukubikim actually isn't right, isn't um, on my um, passport, but my Tolu Lokba, which is my one of my other names, is reflected on my passport. Interesting. And then when you go to the Secretary of State, they ask you to pick two. So, <laughs> so, you so picked... I picked Michael as the middle one, being that. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow, I didn't realize that. So I thought, well, mistakenly, now, now I know. But for for us, for example, so my name is Ahmed, but then... My father's name, Mahmoud, his father, Rajab, and then his father, Ahmed, Abdul Majid, Salah. And then, yeah. you know, you know me as Abdul Majid or Abdul Majid, right. but that's actually the the subgroup. The the main okay. group of the family is right. Al-Asmar, which is, <laughs> you know, a, a huge family spread out all over the world, actually, in, in, in different right. uh, places. So, wow. so it's, that's fascinating. I didn't I didn't know that. Right. So Nigerians usually have two or three names. Um, some have English based names and then some have tribal additional Yoruba Igbo Hausa names um, that they also have as their middle names. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, you know, when you come to the U.S., then you will get abbreviations of your names and that's what you go by. So I think I was also sensitive of not wanting to have that abbreviation and it was just easier to Again, blend in and go with Michael. And so you came to the U.S. via England for education? Yes. And is that something that you knew all along that you were going to go to? to, And why the U.S.? Why not stay in Nigeria and and get a higher ed from there? So I think, you know, again, I've had some blessings in my life. I think I was blessed that my parents could afford um, and saved to be able to let me go have an education in the outside of Nigeria. Um, I think when you when you're able to have one of the challenges we've had in Nigeria with the educational system was strikes, where the schools go on strike because mm. the professors can't get paid. So they you don't have that ability to have your education be on track and completed in the time that you need to. So you know you can have. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, there are times when the students are going for five years, six years, because the strikes in the university. So my, I was blessed that my parents were able to afford that. Also, being able to have education in the U.S. sometimes open doors when you come back to Nigeria to study and or work in terms of having a job offer when you you know it's looked upon more favorably if you were educated overseas versus being educated in this system but you know again i just think i was just more blessed that my parents Mm -hmm. were able to that for me and support me having an education outside of nigeria 
And you come to the United States, you go to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and you're at the cafeteria and there's this girl across the across the table who is sitting beside you now 18 years later is it right right 18. you know i can't overstate this i just think i've been incredibly blessed in terms of the directions and the opportunities that have been here for me when i came to the when i started at calvin and, and started going to school there it was easy for me to find a good group of friends similar-minded. We pushed each other to achieve what we needed to achieve academically. Um, we didn't get steered in the wrong directions, being foreigners. And Calvin does create this kind of bubble where it really supports focus on the education and challenge you to be to meet those standards. When Jack and I met, we, we really just were friends. We were more of a, hey, we're a group, you know, I'm hanging out with my international friends because we were mostly international students coming to the U.S. and doing things there. And she was open-minded about interacting with that group. It wasn't when she was one of the people who I would say were open-minded enough when, so the thing about, you know, Africans or Nigerians is we, we move in a herd and in a pack. <laughs> Uh-huh. Right? So, you know, it's sometimes coming to different events or gatherings, you, we just were, were a large group. And Jackie was one of the few people who were who, who were um, Americans who were just comfortable were coming into that group and having conversations and interacting with us and not feeling intima- intimidated. We used to joke is, oh, everybody's running away, running away because the Africans are coming, you know, we're, and we're loud. They're um, <laughs> boisterous, you know teasing each other, coming down the hallway, or seeing somebody you know like a couple of yards away and you're like yelling at them like, hey, how's it going? What are you doing? And, you know, that's just, you know, conservative West Michigan um, where you're Michigan nice, you know, that's just not the norm. People are like, oh, my God, these guys are rude, belligerent. Um, let's stay away from them. And so Jackie was really comfortable being there. The true story is I did try to date Jackie early on, and she turned me down. We're not going to talk about the story, but that's going to be episode two. <laughs> yeah, so there's like every young man who comes in, I didn't have the maturity to be in a sustainable relationship. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and she recognized that we were neither of us were really at that point in our lives. Fast forward two years later, and we started hanging out again. Um, and start having some conversations. And I, rem- I I vividly remember she made a point to come to, I lived on campus. I wasn't living in a dorm anymore. I was living on the on-campus apartment where everybody could kind of have their own room. So she, she made a point to come to my apartment. We had a conversation and she invited me to come visit her. And I remember just feeling a sense of loss when she was leaving that, oh my God, I can't believe she's leaving. It means when I was leaving to go back to my home. parents in Wisconsin right. for mm-hmm. the summer. Going home for the summer and just feeling this sense of loss that, oh my God, this girl's leaving and I'm really starting to connect with her. And I did not believe in long distance relationships, but I knew she was definitely, she was open to a long distance relationship conversation over the summer. That usually not where my head is. So um, she invited me to come to visit her in Wisconsin, um, and I took her up on the offer. 
I have never been on an American highway before. I, had, <laughs> you didn't have a car. I didn't have a car. I had no concept of distance of, in terms of how far Michigan was uh, from Wisconsin. So I knew how far it was to Chicago. So at the time, I had a, an acquaintance who owned a car dealership, and he lent me a car. Um, this was before TomToms and navigation systems on your phone where you do the old map quest and print it on a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. So I hop in the car one morning and um, what should have taken me about six hours took me about 12 hours because I kept stopping thinking, aren't I there yet? <laughs> and I also got confused by the county directions because they, I thought they should go in a normal progression of A, B, C, D, but county roads can go A, B, C, double E. And I was, I was like, okay, somehow in jamming in my car and driving, I missed the turn for G that I was looking for. So I would turn back all the way to A and start over. So you were circling her house for about six hours. Oh, <laughs> Basically. I wish. So she's panicking that where's this guy who's coming to visit me. But and no cell phones at the time either. No, no cell no Well, barely any cell He had a cell phone, but... I, it died because I kept calling her like, hey, am I there yet? And she's like, no, you just keep going. You're still you're still coming. So, But you didn't have car chargers back then. You could only charge them on your, at your home. You had uh -huh. a car to go. So anyway, I made it. I safely made it to her house. And at that point, I just made the decision. I'm like, okay, I'm committed. Like, we're not... This is not a hanky panky. Like we're we're in a relationship now. We're boyfriend and girlfriend. I didn't drive all this way just to kind of say how do you do me? Like like this is it. Like moving forward, I'm telling everybody you're my girlfriend. Jackie, let me ask about that. You're from Wisconsin. It's small town, big town. I was raised on a farm. You raised on a farm. Yeah. Um, to our, our listeners who can't see you, you are white American yeah. woman. Yep. You're in college, and and not to say that you know just because you're born in a small town or whatever, but there's a whole lot of foreignness to this guy that you just yeah, met so, on college campus. So I'm, I'm wondering where's that curiosity from? Where's that mm -hmm. openness from? What what attracted you to this? Mm -hmm. So I will say that like for multiple generations before me, there's been a lot of openness to other cultures. Okay, my grandfather did a lot to. I guess, working on race relations back, you know, I mean, my mom remembers bricks being thrown through their windows as a child and stuff because my grandfather was an advocate for, mm. actually for African-Americans to be able to join the Christian Reform Church. And then my parents, my, my mom grew up in the, in the city her whole life. Um, then she moved to the, the farm with my father. And um, it was really important to her that we had a lot of exposure to other cultures and different people. So we traveled quite a bit. We did some international. I mean, we didn't have tons of money, so we didn't do a lot. But my parents also sent me, I went on mission trips every year in high school um, to different countries, just me with other, you know, not the rest of my family. Um, and actually, my parents always would say that they thought I was going to marry someone from South America. Um, and I, and so I've always really enjoyed other cultures. And my parents are definitely supportive of that part of me. And um, that's important to the rest of my family, I would say as well. So it wasn't, that wasn't a big, a big deal. 
So supporting family environment and exposure to different cultures and all of that, it wasn't even a question or a concern that he's from a different country or a different faith practice as well, I think. Is that what you mentioned? Not really, to be honest. You know, Very open-minded. I would, I would definitely say my mom and dad, as I call them, had, were always supportive of our relationship. I never, you know, I think they were willing to embrace somebody different in me and give me a chance to, um, for us to work things out. I mean, I just, I remember, you know, meeting her dad and, and once the, the, it was a serious relationship, he just said, you know, don't break her heart, which any dad would say, but I, I've never felt mom or dad be anything but supportive and treat me any different than they treat their children. What about your parents, um, Hifidab? So my dad passed away early, well, actually after my first year in pharmacy school. Yeah, I remember and that, so sorry. I, it's been it's been me and my mom. It was me and my mom for a long time. And I think my mom struggled with it. That wasn't the vision she had for her son in terms of, and I think it was more about me staying in the U.S. Mm -hmm. versus Jackie. Like, she was okay with us dating. She was challenged a little bit by us being a couple later, just some general concerns. But I think overall, she's been... Once we were married, mm -hmm. she's been able to support us. I think, like, you know, for my parents to accept him, they were quite sure they were accepting him into our country. Mm -hmm. Right. Versus his mom accepting me, accepting his child, her, her child was going to make another country home. So that's, that's a huge extra layer that is hard. I think of my own self as a mother. It would be hard for me, if I'm honest. No, and, and I fully appreciate that. As you guys know, my wife Heather is from Michigan. And, uh, you know, early on in the relationship, my parents and her parents uh, struggled with certain concepts and, and certain mm -hmm. cultural issues and, and trying to uh, work it out. And it took a while for both. But now, 16 years later, uh, we're mm -hmm. just... It's we're all family. We're all one big family. Right. So I fully understand and appreciate that. But it's interesting. So for your mom, it solidified it in her mind that her son is not coming back home because he's in that serious relationship. Yeah. I mean, I remember we had conversations. She had conversations with Jackie about Jackie's willingness to move back with me to Nigeria and build our family life there. And but my professional opportunities didn't provide me a pathway of being like, okay, the next step is I'm going to go home and um, set up shop there. Like, you know, That's you know, pharmacy is such a it's such a diverse field because you can have the pharmaceutical industry, you can have hospital pharmacy care, you can have community, you can have long term care consultants. And where I was passionate about practicing was hospital and mm -hmm. being a clinical pharmacist in the hospital, which is still very much evolving. So I think that was, I just did not see that pathway. And I just feel like Ferris at the time was not offering a strong, like pharmaceutical industry related experiences. Like we were kind of blessed to have all of these other opportunities within hospitals mm -hmm. and retail. So I, I couldn't, project that and forecast that into here's my career pathway 
that I would see. lead me back to Nigeria. I see. So I do want to keep on the theme of Nigeria for a little bit, and then I want to shift gear uh, to something else. But so professional opportunities, as you put it, did not, you know, show you an, uh, a path to go back to Nigeria. But is the willingness to or desire to go back to Nigeria still with you, or is that something, you know? You know, I think also we've visited Nigeria as a family, myself, Jackie, and the younger two. And for a while, my family was not in Nigeria, but they've all started going back. Like my older step-siblings have all started moving back um, to Nigeria and have found opportunities there. So I have a place I can go visit. I can stay with them um, versus feeling that I myself need to move back. So it, I'm open to it, to visiting um, but I just have not found professionally that that's something that I would have to do. I see. And you mentioned that you went there with two, but I know you have more than just two kids. How many kids do you have? We're blessed with four kids. Four uh, children. A daughter and three boys. My daughter is the oldest. She's 13. Then we have a boy who's going to be 11 coming up, right? <laughs> well, 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 they're close. Yeah. Mm. Twelve. Now I'm gun shy doing ages because you're gonna <laughs> do the ages. You're being judged. Yeah. Dele is um nine. And, <laughs> oh, um, oh, hold on, pot. Hold on, pot. I don't think the kettle saw that, but <laughs> you I, struggled with that but date of birth. I did. I had to think about it. That messed me up too. I gotta say. And then our youngest Coco um, actually turns seven in a couple of days. Well, happy early birthday. So you have four beautiful children. And from what I know, you gave them Nigerian names. Right. And how much of the Nigerian culture are you trying to give or do you feel is important to give? How much of that in your upbringing of your children? So we're, we're actually blessed here in, in Grand Rapids. We've got a good Nigerian group of individuals. So we do raise them exposed to our culture, um, the food. It's difficult to expose them to the, the language component just because there's not enough of those Yoruba-speaking individuals here. I just I have not felt the pressure to really Im immerse them in actually being able to speak Yoruba, Igbo, and some of that. But I have tried to expose them to being aware of their culture, their roots, um, connection to family from Nigeria and, and clothes and art. And even just people, honestly, we lived in Iowa for five years um, for Mike's profession. Our choice to come back to Grand Rapids like surprises people because they think of Grand Rapids is pretty like a pretty white place. <laughs> but um, we have a pretty strong community of other Africans and Nigerians that we hang out with and spend time with here and we really wanted our children to be around that mm -hmm. they, they're actually people we went to Calvin with um, and they have had children too and all you know the adults get together the kids get together um, and it was important for us to have our kids around that it was that's really why probably the biggest reason we moved back here even though neither of us have family here so those people have played the role of family to us in, in a lot of ways 
I see. So it was important for, for both of you, for the kids to grow up exposed to that culture that mm -hmm. yeah. you come from, and, and for them to learn a little bit about their, their heritage. In light of the social reckoning that we are experiencing in the United States with mm -hmm. regards to Black Lives and Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. and the fact that this is unfortunately nothing new, but it's come to light it's come to to be in the in the forefront of a lot of people's minds more recently so than before and i'm interested from your perspective as the wife of a black man an african american man who's you know uh even with or without an accent is automatically identified as a black man and then children who are mixed race what concerns do you have what worries do you have I, I want to know a little more about yeah. your thought process. So it, it is hard for me. And actually, sometimes people ask me, like, who are dating someone who is a different race than them? You know, they'll ask, like, what do you think about it? And I'm like, well, honestly, like, I, I love that my husband is black, not, not because I love him because he's black, but I enjoy the diversity. I enjoy the, the differences. But... I always tell them, but you have to think about if you choose to have children, will you be okay being the parent of a minority child? Because it's different than choosing a spouse, right? There's something about the fact that I've brought this person into the world and they're going to have difficulty because of the color of their skin. And I made that choice. And so, so it is a big deal. And like simple things like, I grew up with, you know, my first two cars were thousand dollar cars, mm. like they were nothing special. And who cares? Like, I didn't care if I broke down on the side of the road. I, I walked to someone's house and I called and my parents came and got me a couple hours later when they got the message, whatever. So, you know, and then I, I marry Mike and he likes much nicer cars than me. And part of that understanding was like, he has to like nicer cars. He can't drive a thousand dollar car because, hmm. you know, if, if he's pulled over, there's a perception, right? That in him wearing a suit and driving a nicer car has a slightly different perception if he's pulled over. And then we started talking about that with our own children. Like our kids can't drive, you know, thousand dollar cars. Like my daughter, she turns 14 this summer. And so we're already having these conversations because I think people in our community know us. And I think that there is there's two problems in this country. There's a race problem and there's a social economic division problem. Mm -hmm. And they're so tightly tied together that what we've found from our experience so far is that when people know our social economic situation, then it's fine that our children are mixed and my husband is black. But when they don't know that, that's when there's a lot of assumptions made. And so knowing that my children are going to go out into the world on their own, on their own two feet, right? And having to build those people, people's idea of them, which will come first from the color of their skin. That's just the way it is. And it's interesting because our daughter and our, and our older daughter and our oldest son are on the lighter spectrum. Mm -hmm. and they can blend in my younger two are really on the darker side and I have to talk to the boys and say, okay, listen, 
you're angry about something, but you cannot act out because mm -hmm. you will be judged and treated differently if you act out this way when you become a teenager or you're a man. Mm -hmm. You need to check your emotions. And, and so we're coaching them at such a young age on how to check their emotions mm. that they're not evaluated or viewed as that angry black man, right? And, so and where, where is that coming from for you? Is that is that a lived experience? You know, we were talking about this the other day. I mean, because of my experiences living in different countries, I, I haven't had as much overt racism like, you know, hey, you're bad or you're a monkey or whatever. All of those really aggressive um, racism acts that have happened previously. I think for me, it's just more subtle. There are mm -hmm. these subtle acts like I, you know, Jackie and I will go out and I'll go into a store and I'll be looking at something I'm interested in and I will get no assistance at all. Nobody asks, hey, do you need some help? Do you have a conversation? Do you need this? Or can I tell you about this model? Um, but my wife will come join me with the kids. And even before she gets to me, she will get three different people run to her and say, hey, can I tell you about our deal? Can I help you with this? Hmm. Taking that one product out to Shia, they'll only let him have one at a time. For me, they'll take it all out, and I could, you know, I can put five watches on my arm if I want to. So it's been more subtle things like that. It's that subtle had. things. So it's and so again, it's just trying to. I think professionally, I've I've been blessed. Like I haven't had any doors turned away because of my voice. You know, my my um, I, I don't. You know, I again, you can hear me. I don't really have a thick African accent. So most people are surprised when I say, oh, I didn't grow up here. You know, they're like, why did you grow up? You didn't grow up in Grand Rapids. So I, I, I think professionally I've been blessed and successful. I think it's more in my personal life, the things you have to do. Like I will have, we will have Jackie be the one to communicate for a loan application because they will give her the great deals. Like it's our inside joke. Like Jackie talked somebody and we'll get an additional perk that's probably not available to the general public but I will stand behind her or when we go out to have those perks available that are probably usually available to white America um, actually you know I think another one that I think is completely hilarious I took Jackie to England for a wedding my older brother's wedding we go to England in the during the trip, Jackie gets a cold, like a really bad cold. We're flying back. I'm trying to support my girlfriend and, and carry her through the the um line for customs. Uh-huh. And we get there, so you know, we have to make a decision. I either need to go to the international line. For non-Americans, or I, because she, because she could barely walk. I had a fever. It was horrible. It was but, horrible. No. So I don't. So I make the decision. I'm going to take her with me. I take her to the line. The custom agent takes one look at me and says, "What are you doing here?" As I present her American passport, my Nigerian passport, I'm like, "This is my girlfriend. She's not feeling well. Like she's got the flu." And he looks at me. And he's like, "Okay, no, you need to leave her. Go back." 
she and as soon as I leave her, she can barely stand. And then when I'm gone, he's like, "Ma'am, are you okay? Do we need to do anything to this gentleman? Um, did he do something to you?" And I'm like, "No." Like, and she and she was livid. Like, I'm mm-hmm. I'm seeing her getting upset with the customs agent. And so finally, I come back and I'm like, "Okay, I'm sorry, but you need to process us together." Because I can tell, I don't know why she's getting visibly upset, but I need to physically support her because she can't support herself. So it's those little things like that to answer your question in terms of I'm having to prepare my boys for some of the realities of this is what you have to accept it and you can't turn a blind eye to it. So I'm trying to teach my younger boys and my older boy that here's how the world is going to treat you, but this is how you handle it. This is how you try not to lose your temper because once you lose your temper and start acting in that way, the conversation is not going to be about what you were trying to have a conversation about. The conversation becomes you're this angry individual and all these other negative connotations that come with that. You know, mm-hmm. I talked to them, about, I'm already talking to them about, hey, you know, when you guys start driving, there's a certain way you're going to have to put your hand on the steering wheel. You're going to have to ask for permission before you do this so you don't get shot because of all of the things that have come out in the media. So with, with all of that, and, and I imagine the stress of, of that, why don't you just say, I'm just going to pack my bags and go to Nigeria? You know, I don't, I don't have to yeah, put up with it. the same thing there. In reverse. in reverse. In reverse. I mean, we would have that no matter where we are. Because we're mixed race. Hmm. So I think you would have, we would have a challenge where, wherever we went, whether it's my wife being the minority or I'm the minority. I think when, when you go, my experience, you go into a different culture, there's just some give and take that you have to accept. Um, and there's, there's going to be challenges we would have in Nigeria. But I do feel that despite all of that, our immediate community of people have balance Mm -hmm. out the good and the bad Mm -hmm. right so like i've said i've been blessed i you know i've been blessed Mm -hmm. that i've had the right friends i've had the right mentors one of my bet one of my mentors professionally has become very close like Mm there i would call him a brother because we're that close you know Mm -hmm. i've had people offer acts of kindness to me that doesn't that helps you recognize that there's Every not so- everybody. It's not everybody, and every society has its challenges. You know, I had other challenges when I lived in England, and um, you know, when I was a very young age, my mom got a scholarship, went to France for university, and we had some struggles over there. So I just think, you know, being a minority, either way, there are just some challenges you're always going to experience. It's very difficult in any society to just have complete open door policy and no judgment. Mm-hmm. Even with our kids here, I mean, we we have had little things, but it hasn't it hasn't been huge things but for I, the most part. <laughs> but I, I but I guess I would also say that's where that socioeconomic mm-hmm. benefit that we have offset some of the challenges we do have in terms of our choices and our exposures that we have. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I do think we're trying to raise our kids just to recognize you have to live outside the bubble perspective because I'm definitely not the same person I was 
when I moved here from Nigeria. You know, when I judged America moving here, it was um, boys in the hood <laughs> um, coming to America. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that list goes on and on around here's how Americans live. And, 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 and this is the land of the wild, free immoral society and it really isn't like that you know there's there's definitely and even within the u.s there's just different subcultures the midwest is very different than the west is very different than the east and so taking all of that in it's just we've i've had some different experiences that for me have forced me to just look outside my norm Mm -hmm. and we've had to in our relationship being raised with different values or cultural experiences needing to adjust and accommodate each other in those expectations. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had a different set of expectations growing up. I, and again, that's why I Sam, I feel blessed because both of my parents had PhDs. Mm-hmm. I come, all of my siblings are educated you know, and so I remember conversations with my mom and I chuckle. My mom probably is by far fundamentally the most single person I feel responsible for where I am today. You know, in conversations with my mom, she would say, you're going to college. Mm-hmm. It's not a choice. It's not a choice. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> just like, hey, your faith, you're, you're Catholic. There's no discussion about it. I remember being Calvin one day and saying, hey, man, there's so many other opportunities. When you grow up in Nigeria, the inside joke is in Nigeria, you're either a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, or an accountant. You, you go for jobs that give you guaranteed stream of income to take care of your family. You don't go to college to be a soccer player. Or you don't, you don't, you don't go to be a soccer player or a professional athlete like that's not an avenue and, and i've seen you play anything. soccer so thank god yeah you didn't make that oh, choice whatever. <laughs> oh whatever so i just grew up with a different set of expectations and it was consistently reinforced by everybody around me you were you were going to go my niece was um academically gifted and she and i were almost about the same age but i had that as a marker for me you know mm-hmm. Oinkos doing good so i need to do good as well my brothers had all gone to college so i was going to go to college and you know fit into that perspective which then once you have that it does put a burden on you but you know what's expected of you like you're coming to america you're going to get an education whether you're coming home or not the expectation is by the time you're done because of what's being invested in you by your parents or the village or the community, you're going to come back educated. I know that feeling very well. Coming from a third world country, you know, I think that also, you know, it's it's the haves and the have nots. You either have or you don't have. Mm -hmm. So when you see some of the opportunities, I just felt like you see some of the opportunities I have here, you just push and take them. You push yourself to either meet the expectations or you don't. I appreciate the fact that you're not trying to insulate your kids. I mean, you're both successful professionally. You have achieved the socioeconomic status that you can just completely isolate the kids from 
other issues potentially that might come up, but you guys are intently having those conversations. And mm -hmm. I just I find that admirable. I appreciate the fact that you guys are trying to raise kids who are aware of who they are and their surroundings, aware of their privilege, but also aware of the fact that society still perceives them mm -hmm. in, in that way. Do you feel that the immigrant layer adds uh, another... Um, angle of, of issues or difficulties potentially or maybe in some ways it takes away a layer how so um, I feel like when it comes down to it he still came here by choice he came to this country for opportunity and a lot of African Americans know that their family did not come here by choice or certainly for opportunity Mm -hmm. And so the fact that he has and it has worked for him, and, and, I, and I think that's something that we try to instill in our kids, too. There's opportunity here for you. There's value here for you. And I feel like when you didn't make the choice to come here or your ancestors didn't make it, it was forced on you, there's, it's a different set of baggage. Hmm. Very interesting. And and I ask because as we interview different folks from different countries that have tribes and original tribes, there are different things that unite or make them who they are. So, uh, for example, we were talking with, uh, it's not necessarily tribe or, tribal, but with an Albanian, and he said, what makes you an Albanian is the Albanian language. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what makes you Nigerian then, uh, if the different tribes with different languages, is it shared set of cultural or what, what makes one a Nigerian, I guess, is my question. So, you know, I think for the most part, it really did start off from you're Nigerian because you exist within these <clears throat> orders that um, were defined or given to us by England when they gave all of these different countries their um, independence and set them up. Mm -hmm. um, I think as a group, as a group, what makes you Nigerian is that love for that, the country, even with the different dialects that exist there. And, and um, you know, I think we become united, especially when you have those major events, sports, competition, soccer is the great uniter. I mean, you hear <laughs> stories of, African players playing and wars completely stop. There's a lot that really, even with all of the differences that exist within the tribes, just we, we still all end up coming together and really raising the flag and supporting each other. And we see that even in our communities that we see here of brotherhood, sisterhood, nationalism when we come together. Earlier on, Mike, you said that when you were in England, you were kind of wanting to blend in and disappear into a culture while you were there. And I was wondering if you still feel the same way now that like you're established in Michigan and you have your family, you have some roots there. So I'm just wondering if now you feel like you have a similar sense of being, well, I guess. I think now that I'm established, I... I have the American accent, which allows people to judge me by my actions and outcomes versus an accent, I think, creates this bias of this is who I am. But anybody who's in the same space with me for long enough, I share with pride that, hey, I'm Nigerian. I grew up in Nigeria. Here's my culture. Here's who we are. And 
even people, when I say, oh, you know, I'm Nigerian, you get people who are like, oh, my God, you don't have an accent. And I always say, yeah, I blend in well. But, you know, at this point, I don't know that I'm necessarily trying to blend in. I do think I'm proud of my heritage. Even in naming our children, all of our children have Nigerian names. So I'm trying to encourage them to appreciate that difference in their heritage and who they are versus before I probably was less interested in telling people about, hey, I'm Nigerian. It's probably the second thing I'll tell you once I'm comfortable with who you are to say, hey, yeah, actually, I grew up in Nigeria. I went to school here. I did this. They're like, oh, my God, why are you still in Grand Rapids? Well, I've got a good community here. Um, I just think, you know, I think I'm, I'm confident enough now where I'm okay being an immigrant. And when I'm in certain groups, we'll call out to people that, hey, you know, you're misjudging because these people you're judging, I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. I'm an immigrant. And then they go, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you saw my name, Ifadapo, that's Nigerian. Shonoga is a Nigerian name. I'm So I am an immigrant. I'm one of those dirty immigrants that you're talking about should go back to their country. And and then you start that conversation about, hey, actually, we these immigrants who you don't like, they come in looking for that opportunity to not only find opportunity for themselves, but give their children a better opportunity than they had. And that's the history of the country when you really think about it. Mm-hmm. So you feel comfortable having those conversations and you feel that that voice needs to be heard about immigrants in general, but right. immigrants from, from your part of the world in particular and um, right. kind of changing. So if Edapo and Jackie, thank you very much for um, allowing us a little bit of insight into who you are, into your family and if Edapo into your experience as an immigrant. And I would like now to turn it over to both of you and say you have people out there that are hopefully listening to this podcast and what would you like to share with them? I think, you know, I think when, for the people who listen to the podcast, I think for me, one of the things that I would hope people take out of this is, you know, immigrants are really no different than true citizens of the country. By that, I mean, you're born here and you have a pat you know you have the access to the american way of life i think immigrants come to the country for different reasons really just looking for an opportunity whether professionally or to give their families a better opportunity but don't judge a book by its cover you know mm-hmm. i think most if not all immigrants are really hard working Um, not looking for a handout, not looking to take advantage of people. In any society, you always have the 1% who might go in the wrong direction. But for the most part, I think if you really take your the scales out, most immigrants are successful, hardworking, and success is defined by very large definition, right? Whether it's being able to own, pay for your own house, 1,500 square feet to giant mansion. Or even just providing food or providing, and education yeah. for your children. Or, living, or paying the rent and just yeah. being able to give an opportunity for your kids to just have that experience. You know, I think for me, for as an immigrant, I'm just so grateful to 
the people who really gave me an opportunity did not judge me for, hey, you, you don't belong, you don't fit. And the lack of judgment has been helpful for me. Jackie? Well, I would just say that getting to know people from other cultures will add depth and value to your life. It's sort of like you could choose to eat meat and potatoes, a good old-fashioned Dutch food, every single day. But if you throw some spice in there every once in a while, get to know some new things, you'll find that maybe you really enjoy it. So I think that immigrants really add value and depth to the culture here. That's really what the whole our, our, this entire country was built on. It, that should continue, not stop. Thank you both so much. It's been great. I appreciated. So, hey, Ahmed, yes, I'm going to say one last thing that I know will probably not make it into <laughs> your podcast, but uh -huh. um, I am going to say a big thank you because you probably um, don't remember this, and I'm getting a little bit emotional, mm -hmm. um, but you are deaf. I consider you to be one of the big... Um, blessings I had in my life in college because when my dad died, we were accelerating and um, I didn't have enough time to grieve. So I we got done with finals our first year of pharmacy school and then we started, we went right into the summer semester and then I had to go home to my dad's funeral, come back and, had, and just shut all that grief off and continue to try and just work our way through summer classes. And then I finally hit the wall in the fall. Like mm -hmm. I was struggling academically so bad and you lifted me up. You were one of the pupils who helped me just cross over and process my grief for my mm -hmm. dad and still stay in pharmacy school. So I've never had an opportunity to thank you, but I truly appreciate you, brother, because I would not be here today without you. Love you, man. So you never know what impact you have on people. Well, I'm trying not to cry in front of Katie, but, <laughs> <laughs> but love you, man. I, I've known Same it from the, from the minute I met you. You're, you're good people. That's all I can say. This has been great. Thank you guys so much. Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Anytime, brother. Thank you so much for what you're doing uh, with the whole COVID situation. I know <clears throat> that you have been playing a major role in it in your role as a pharmacy, director of pharmacy at your hospital. And as a pharmacist, I'm very proud of you. As a healthcare professional, I'm very proud of you. And as a member of the community and a member of this world that's been struggling with this COVID, you and others like you who have helped during that time are a blessing. So God bless. Thank you guys so much. Good to see you. We'll be in touch soon. The Ayan Immigrant is a production of WBOI Studios in Fort Wayne and was created and hosted by Ahmed Abdelmashid. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and please leave a review. To learn more about this season's guests, visit theianimmigrant.com or find us on Facebook and join the conversation. 
Today's episode was edited by Sydney Wagner and Alex Costanzo. This is co-producer Katie Anderson signing off until next time. Thanks for listening. From WBOI, Fort Wayne.